Let's just begin reading our one and only inspired history of God building his church. Amen. All right, in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. <laughs> but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. <laughs> Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, but whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, this man doeth nothing worthy of death, or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty, if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Let us pray. Amen. Oh, Father, we praise you and give you all glory. Father, we thank, thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us this inspired, this inspired history of your church. But, oh, Lord, Especially right here, Lord. Lord, be with the preacher now as he sets these things and exhorts upon these things and, and exegetes them, Lord. And be with him that he do it well, that it bring glory to your name. And Lord, that all who would hear, oh, give us ears, Lord, and build us up, Lord. 
Build us up, Lord, and help us come to an even more thorough understanding and appreciation of you and your ways. All to the glory of your name. Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good to, good to have us uh, gathered together with our Bibles in our hands again. And I know, uh, as Howard hinted at, boy, there's a lot of verses here. Amen. And uh, well, here's, here's the good news, brother. This is going to be the third time that we've heard in the book of Acts Paul's testimony. And there are some things that we're going to bring out. So we'll be able to, as we say, as I said, we'll, we'll eat these verses, part of it as chunks, chunks to a, to a degree, uh, this morning. And I know what Bev is thinking. I, all I could think of, what, what is Bev thinking as we're, as we're looking for that, the right text? <laughs> Uh, the, the right chapter, but uh, the text came from somewhere else. I think it was chapter 25 or 24, but that's all right. We have our Bibles in our hands, right, Bev? We have our Bibles in our hands, and here we are this morning, so blessed, so thankful. Well, last Lord's Day morning, we were indeed blessed beyond measure to read and to hear. Now, now brethren, if you, if you look in Scripture... The book of Revelation says, Blessed are they that read and hear and understand the words of God. And we were blessed for sure to read and to hear the Apostle Paul as he stood with all fidelity again, standing before the Holy Ghost assembled audience. And we looked at that, amen. The governor, King Agrippa, Bernice, his wife, and all those, the who's who's are in the city. Here's Paul standing there just being a faithful preacher of the word of God. Testifying at great length, brethren, again, as we have seen this, to the effectual working of Christ's power. And again, we always see this in the text. It's always back to what Christ has done, right? When Jesus called him and marked him out on the road to Damascus. What an amazing thing. You think about this for a moment. Three times it is recorded in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God leads Luke to record that particular uh, conversion account, if you will, as God is drawing him three times. Once Luke writes and narrates it, and then this is the second time now as we look in the book of Acts where Paul actually himself in first person tells of this glorious meeting. He first testified, you remember, to the old man, his old life, the old way, the way he used to be. And now this morning as we take up the text together, we again get to see as he stands there with all fidelity again and calls men to repentance, and speaks of the miraculous concerning his own life. Because, brethren, I, I always say this often. Too often today, the Western church is looking under here, and they're looking behind this door and under this rock for some miracle, right? I mean, it's always, they're always looking for something, amen? And if you want to see the greatest miracle that ever takes place, this is what God thought was important for you and I, and for all of the church, for all of generations to hear, not once, twice, but three times. Paul's conversion. It's a miraculous thing that takes place. If you're saved this morning, it was miraculous in your life. It was miraculous in my life. It is a miraculous work of God that only he can do. And this is why, again, he emphasizes this so dramatically. In fact, I like what one pastor said. Paul here, during a Christian hunting expedition to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, when he's going, a most holy and crucial moment occurred in his life. 
He came literally face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And again, this is a momentous, miraculous thing as Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. There's a lot of things we're going to just kind of take a look here together. And I want us again, as I said, we'll take, because we have studied this more intensely in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 22. So if you want to get more intense, just you can just go back and hear Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22. Again, very relevant, very important. But there are some things, again, that the Holy Ghost brings out to us here in our text. So again, we'll just take it by chunks this morning. Look there, if you would, at verse number 12. Acts 26. Look at verse number 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining around about me. And I spent a lot of time on that back in Acts 22 and Acts chapter 9. So you can go back there and look and see the miraculous that takes place. Verse 14, when we were all fallen to the earth, and again, there are some similarities here, and we're going to see some differences, and there's purposes. The liberal devils have gone after Paul's testimony. You realize that. And they say that, well, see, this proves the Bible has contradictions, it's contradictory, it's this and that, and we'll see why that is just a bunch of foo-foo, as they say. Boulderdash and poppycock, as they say in the old days when I was young. You youngster, what, what did he just say? I might have to define that for you later. But listen, these are all in common when Jesus presents himself each time, as Paul tells it. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul. Now, brethren, you see how personal this is. And again, brethren, we're going to look at that. This is a personal thing. Amen? And we've got a conference coming up in October on the doctrines of grace. Amen? And we're going to look and see how when, when God saves somebody, it is a personal and a very, if you will, directed thing. It's not a sea of I hope so's. It is a sea of a very, uh, if you will, centered and personal on the person. And this is what we see again in this text. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is, hard, is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Look there, if you would, at verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes. Now, again, brethren, there's a lot of doctrine here. And to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that's a very superlative terminology that's used there in Scripture. Amen. This is how you were. This is where you have to turn. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of doctrine and theology taking place right in this text. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and the and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now again, basically what Paul does here, he's standing there giving them a presentation of what it means to become a Christian. And this is important because when we get to Agrippa's response to the question that Paul asks him, he is willing and has no desire to do any of those. None of those things. Because it is a miraculous thing that God gives us, a desire to do these things. We will look at that. Now, again as I said... This is the second time that Paul is giving his testimony. It is a little more, shall we say, detailed, and it's an amazing thing. In fact, you notice that each time he gives it, and this is really important, brother, just from a theological standpoint, 
that he is, if you will, the Holy Ghost is having him tailor it to his audience. And what do we mean by that? What, what do I mean the Holy Ghost here again is having him tailor to his audience? There are many. Bart Ur, well, I call him Errorman. His real name is Ehrman, Bart Ehrman, right? He attacks this. He's written books on the inconsistencies and the, the, if you will, of Paul's testimony. The guy was a Baptist minister for almost 30 years and completely flipped and became apostate. Now all he does is attack the Bible over and over and over again, and this is one of his favorite things to do. He has large seminars on Paul's testimony, large discussions about how inconsistent and how uh, there's so many contradictions in his testimony. However, brethren, when one closely examines each of these occasions, we actually see how precise the Holy Ghost really is as he has Luke record them. Now listen, in chapter 22, we remember, don't we, brother? And again, he's adapting it to the audience. Who was Paul mainly preaching to? Well, when it was recorded in Acts chapter 9, but then when he's preaching in Acts 22, you remember, what it, who was his audience, brother? It was mainly Jewish men. Mainly Jewish men. So what's Paul going to do when he's preaching? He's going to not change the gospel message. That's the thread that's through it all. But the references and some of the truths and some of the points that he brings out are directly Jewish. There's no inconsistencies. He just simply, the Spirit of God has him tailor it to the audience that's there. You remember this. He calls his audience men, brethren, and fathers. He builds common ground with them. He says, hey, remember Jerusalem? Huh? He's tying it to the Jews. He's building this common ground with the Jews. That's why it was brought up. You can go back and look in Acts chapter 22. He's speaking Jewish things to them. He speaks of his Jewish tutelage at the feet of who? Remember? Gamaliel. That's important to a Jew because Gamaliel was a leading teacher in that day. So what does he do? Well, Aramis says, well, he doesn't mention any of this in, 20, in 26. Well, of course he doesn't. He's not speaking mainly to Jews. He's looking at a bunch of Greeks and a bunch of uh, lost pagans, and he's not going to talk about the Jewish things to them. Just like you and I. <laughs> when you go street preaching and you're... If I can illustrate it, and you're speaking to someone who wants to kill their children, I mean, you have to tailor the word of God to that specific thing. You're not going to talk about roses and, and, and flowers when you need to be tailoring the message to what is taking place. And this really is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, he says there, after he speaks of being at the feet of Gamaliel, that he speaks of the law of their common ancestors. Again, Jewishness. This is what he's doing. He reminds them that he's as zealous as they are. And at some points, I'm more zealous for the law of God than you. And it draws, again, their attention as he's speaking. He tells them also, brethren, in chapter 22 of Ananias, a devout Jew who was praying for him, who was sent by the God of their fathers to him, now as he's preaching here, as he's standing before Agrippa and Festus and these, these men, these people, these highfalutin tutors of the town, they're mainly Gentiles, Greeks, and lost pagans. So he doesn't mention any of that. It's a stunning thing when you consider that. In fact, he, he calls Christian saints in this text, which he didn't do over there in Acts 22, he calls them saints, in fact, he says, I, I persecuted these saints, these Christians, to the ends of the earth. Agrippa, and this is what, you know, the old Jews are 
you know, getting after me about. In fact, he says, I forced them and tried to force them to blaspheme God. In our text, he completely leaves this whole narrative completely out because that would mean nothing to Festus. It would mean nothing, absolutely nothing to them. And brethren, this is the Holy Ghost pattern in Scripture. This is what we see. Simply put, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's just look at the, just the four Gospels for a second. Who was the Gospel of Matthew written to? It was written mainly to a Jewish audience. And how is Christ presented in the Gospel of Matthew? Because it's a Jewish audience. He's presented as a Messiah. He's presented as their king. Go look at it. There's a theme all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. There is a Jewish king coming, and here he is. The Gospel of Mark, written mainly to a Roman audience, and he presents Christ as what? A servant. So you look through the Gospel of Mark, and you see along there Christ the servant, the God-man who is a servant. That's what you see. Again, not compromising, but tailoring to the message to the audience that are being written to. Luke, a Greek audience, and it reveals Christ as a man. And of course, the Gospel of John, <laughs> written to all of us, who does John present Christ as? What is the main theme from the opening to the very end? In the beginning was the Word of God. He presents Jesus as God. And so this, again, is the audience. This is who he's encapsulating. And so systematically, when we studied all out, he's the perfect God-man who came in the flesh, died, was buried, and rose again. Amen. This is what you come up with. But again, specifically here, Paul's message is being, if you will, tailored to this audience that's there, that the Holy Ghost has certainly assembled. Now, again, Paul's testimony does not have, you know, it's not, if you will, contradictory. It just simply has truths and points that are brought out to his audience. So what do we conclude then, brother? Three times we find this written in the book of Acts. What do we conclude? Well, number one, that the Holy Spirit of God and God himself thinks Paul's testimony is important for you and I to what? To remember. We got bad memories. <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of times we see in Scripture where we as sheep are accused of not having good memories. Hey, Peter writing to his own flock. Remember this. Remember before I leave. Remember what I said. Remember what I told you. Paul, it's not, a, it's not a big thing for me to write to you again. In fact, it's safe for you. So, again, we see this. And this is what the Holy Ghost is doing. I want my church to remember the greatness of God in Saul's conversion, the miraculous work that I did in his heart. Now, let me just say this. In all three of these accounts... And here in verses 12 through 18, we see the Lord Jesus mark out Paul by name. Look there, if you would, at verse 14. Acts 26, look at verse number 14. And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in Hebrew, in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, again, brethren, this is, excuse me, important. Look at verse uh, 16 there as well of that text. Arise up and stand on thy feet, and I have appeared unto thee for, these, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. So again, we see this call of Christ by Paul by name. Hey, Paul, Paul. It is a personal call. Can we just say that again? Jumping over the top of it. 
Now, as I said, we're, Lord willing, going to have a conference in October concerning the doctrines of grace. And I will be preaching on a very, if you will, controversial subject, but it's really not controversial because as you see here, the call that Christ puts on one's heart is very personal. Okay? It's very definite. All right? What do I mean by that? Well, again, what happens a lot of times, men seem to believe that God just takes his atonement and he, and he flushes it out into this sea of, if you will, provisionism. Yeah, just a sea of provisionism. And, and what they're all hoping for is that someone might just floating through the sea of provisionism, they might just trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. I mean, it might happen. No, brother. That is not how it works. That's not how it works in Paul's life. It's not how it worked in your life when you were saved. It was very personal. He said, Howard, Howard, sitting in a jail cell, Howard, Howard, right? Harrison, Harrison, Wendy, Wendy. It's very personal. His atonement is very particular. It's not floating around again, and I see, like I said, in a sea of provisionalism, God up there hoping someone gets saved. No, it is very personal, very particular, and it is very much directed at God's elect. It is quite a stunning thing to get a hold of. His call is personal, particular, and definite. Those are good words. Now, not only that, look what Jesus reveals to Paul. Not only is call very personal and very particular and very much uh, directed at him, he also reveals to Paul here the object of who Paul is persecuting and who Paul is sinning against. And again, brothers, that's personal. We don't point our fingers over here and say, what a sinner that guy is. What a sinner that person is. No, actually, it's what a sinner I am. Amen? And you see then the object of, 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 of Paul's, if you will, persecution. Look at verse 15 there. Look what it says. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Yeah, he's the object of Paul's persecution, although he was killing who? Who was Paul killing? He was killing those who were followers of Christ. Paul, Jesus says, no, no. Nope, see, you're sinning against them, but you're actually sinning against me. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who is going to be accountable to me for sinning against me. It is indeed, if you will, again, personal. The true object of Paul's persecution is Christ. He says, me, I'm the one. Now, look what he does. After Paul then is, is interrupted, if you will, on the road to Damascus, as he's heading out to kill Christians, as Jesus introduces himself in quite a miraculous way personally, and he tells them, I'm the one that you're sinning against. Look what Jesus then does. Again, verse 17. This is the Lord speaking. Look what he says. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles upon whom, uh, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes... Amen? And to turn uh, them from darkness, to lighten from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Look at an inheritance among them, which are sanctified by the faith in me. What do we see there? We see again a call to repentance. So the sinner, when he realizes he sinned against Christ alone, he is then called to repentance. And it is a glorious thing, brethren. Repentance is unheard of today. Most people don't even want to talk about that. What is repentance? It's a changing of the mind. It's a changing of direction. It's a changing of the heart. This is what God does. This is what Paul is saying. See how miraculous this is? 
Because you can't change your own mind. You can't change your own heart. That's what Paul is certainly saying. He's calling him and them to repentance, the Lord Jesus. And really, when you look at it again, he's revealing unto him the true object of Paul's and everyone else's salvation. Not only are you sinning against me, but I am also your Savior. I am your Lord. And this is again what he's revealing, that the one I'm sinning against will save me when I repent. When I believe on his name alone. Think of that for a moment. The, just the duality of that. I'm sinning against God, but God is going to save me. Amen? If I repent, if I believe, if I change my mind concerning these things. And again, this is what we see. This is what Paul again, and the Lord is certainly reminding us of here in this text. Now, look what he does after all of that. This again, earlier in our text... This is the way I was. Here's the miraculous, what Christ did to me when I was hunting Christians down on the road. He intervenes in my life. He introduces himself to me in a most miraculous way, and he calls all of us to repentance. He then does this in verse 19. Look there if you would. Look at verses 19 through 23. And again, we're taking it in chunks. He says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles. <laughs> we see that there's that pattern of Paul again. He always went to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So again, there's that word again. He's calling everyone to repentance. You're sinning against Christ. You're sinning against God. You must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, right? So you see that here. Look there if you would. Verse 21, for these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing to small and great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Verse 23, listen, that Christ should suffer. You want again, the theme through all of his testimonies is this. That Christ should suffer, that he should be the first to rise, that should rise from the dead, and show light unto the people, the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. There's his pattern again, always to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Now, King Agrippa just simply says, when the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself to me, and I believed on him, he became my Lord, and so all I was doing was simply being obedient to what Jesus told me to do. Howard talked about it in Bible study this morning. There is indeed an obedience that comes by the Spirit of God in the child of God. There's an obedience. Paul just said, hey, I'm just being obedient here to what the Lord Jesus had called me to do. And he says, as we have seen over and over again, that all along the way, I have indeed obtained providential help from God. I'm here by the help of God. And we've looked at it. We don't need to dive into it anymore. His providential help all along the way. In fact, he closes it with, their misunderstanding of God's providential help, our text. If he would have not appealed to Caesar, he'd be free by now. Well, that's not God's providential plan because you people that he's preaching before were the ones he was going to be preaching before. And we see that. He then hearkens them back to the sacred scriptures, to the prophets and Moses, again, as we have seen, who proclaimed the gospel. The gospel's all over the Old Testament, brethren. They proclaimed it over and over and over again, and this is what Paul's doing. Again, we've seen that, that Christ should suffer, that he should indeed be the first to rise from the dead and show light unto the people, the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. Look what he asked King Agrippa in verse number 27. Again, he references them. Look at verse number 27. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. 
And so again, he's referencing back to what? To the foundational word of God. To that which never changes. That when I pick it up tomorrow morning and I come and read this text, you know what's not going to happen? The text isn't going to change. When I flip to the Gospel of Matthew and read Matthew, the text is not going to change unless some devils change it, which they're trying to do. But if you have a good translation of the Bible, it won't change. It stays the same. Over and over, year after year, after eon, after eon, after dispensation, it stays the same. And so Paul, again, this is what he does. And this is what we do here. I know people, I know you think I'm a broken record. I'm really not. I'm just simply trying to direct you to that which doesn't change. And all the other elders do the same. Well, after inquiring about, do you believe the word of God? It's an amazing thing. These biblical truths, as Paul is standing there in all fidelity, they do exactly what God has designed them to do. I want you to see as it elicits this reaction from Festus. He's standing there preaching what the word of God says, preaching what Jesus did to him, changing him. And look what a worldling, look how they respond to the gospel. Look at there at verse 24 and 25. And brethren, we've all had it happen. We've all had someone you're preaching the gospel to react like this. Well, close to it, possibly. I have. I've actually had them freak out and say that I am insane. Look at here at verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus with a loud voice. Now, don't miss that, brethren. Literally, that terminology that's there. Well, when we go street preaching, Brother Keith brings his amplified, his amplified what they call a microphone, right, Brother Keith? And what does that do? It amplifies it. Literally, the language that's used here is like that. It's like Festus has picked up a megaphone, and he's yelling at Paul. Paul, you are insane. All of your learning has made you what? Mad. And Paul just goes, uh, no, 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 Festus. I am not mad. Stunningly amazing response to the gospel truth that we see here. And what I want us to notice is that Paul or Festus attacks Paul's mind. Do you see that there? He says, you are mad. That word literally means you are out of your mind. Your mind is indeed insane. That's literally what he's saying to him. He's sitting there listening to the gospel and he says, Paul, you are insane. You have gone off, well, what would we say? You've gone off the rails. You're, you're crazier than you look. All of these kinds of statements. This is literally what that means. This, of course, brethren, as we see this, as he shouts that, Paul, you are completely crazy in your mind. This, of course, is the response of a dead man walking. Again, brother, when we're out preaching in the street, if the Spirit of God is working, the response is different. When the Spirit of God is not working, this is what they think of you. They look at you and say, you have lost your... In fact, literally, the terminology there is, you are crazy in your mind. Crazy in your mind. Well, brethren, the Apostle Paul here, of course, is in good company. Because, again, I want you to see this. They said the same thing, the exact same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that when he's here teaching and he's, he's God himself preaching the gospel? He's teaching in the streets. He's teaching in the synagogues. And they're all looking at him like, 
This guy has gone mad. He's crazy in his mind. Just look at a couple of examples. Look at Mark chapter 3, just to look back there if you would. I want you to see this. Again, this is a picture of dead men walking. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul, or yeah, Paul himself in 1 Timothy gives us an example, doesn't he? He speaks of an ungodly woman who the Bible says she, she walks while she's dead. She's spiritually dead. And this is the reaction of a spiritual dead man to the gospel. Look at Mark chapter 3. Look here, if you would, verse 20. Look what the Bible says. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, <laughs> now, brethren, you have to keep in mind, even those close to him thought Jesus was mad, that he was crazy in his mind. Look what it says. Heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Literally the same exact terminology that Festus just told Paul. Paul, you're beside yourself. You are mad. You are crazy in the mind. Jesus preaching, this is what the response that he gets. Look at John chapter 10. Just a couple of them here, and then we'll go back to our text. But there is indeed theology here. There is an understanding here. And again, it's one that Howard almost hit on this morning. Pretty close. He was there in the, in, in the text. Didn't go down far enough, brother, but... Look at here, if you would, John chapter 10. Look at verse number 16. And other sheep have, I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Who's the other sheep, brothers? The Gentiles, right? He just got done talking about the Israelites. Now it's the Gentiles. He's bringing us in. There's other sheep. Us, the Gentiles. Look what it says. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six times the Lord Jesus used the term I here. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received from my Father. Again, he's talking what? About his Godhead. He's talking about him being God, that he has the power, me, I, God alone have the power to do this. Now look what the response they get. Verse 19. There was a division therefore among the Jews as they, as for these sayings. And many of them said, he hath a devil and is what? Mad. There it is again. This man is crazy in his mind. This is what he is. In fact, he's got a devil. They called him Beelzebub, remember? The, uh, if you will, the, 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 the God of dung. Literally the terminology, they called him that. But this, again, is a worldly response to those who are dead in their sins, who are spiritually dead. They responded to Jesus that way. They responded to Paul that way. And, brother, they normally, and they do, maybe not as visceral, but they respond to you and I that way, too, when we're preaching. They just look at us and go, these people are mad. They're crazy in their minds. But think of this, brethren, for a moment. Look at out there. Look at how that's going. Think of this for a moment. They think we're mad? They are mad, and it isn't going to be too long, and God will indeed bring it down on their own heads. I am convinced of that. He already is in so many ways. It's a stunning thing, but this is how they accuse him. Paul just simply says, I'm not crazy in the mind. I'm born again. Amen? Because Romans chapter 8, well, you know what the Bible says there. Again, Brother Howard was 
there this morning in Bible study. Well, let's look at that. Look at Romans chapter 8. Just want to read that to you. Look at verse number 5 quickly. This is, again, keeping in mind that Festus went after Paul's mind. And this is why. This is why there was one day when Paul would have said the same thing. He would have said, and he did indeed believe, that the Christians were mad. Look at verse number 5. In fact, let me just say this in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God is mentioned over and over and over again. Over and over and over. The work of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, over and over again. This is what chapter 8 is about. And then we get there to verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Again, where did the Spirit of God go in Festus's heart? Where did he go? It isn't about Paul's mind. It's about his spiritual deadness. It's about being deep down inside there. Look there at verse number 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. See, many people think, again, I don't have time. They think everybody's neutral. You are not neutral. Your mind isn't even neutral, let alone your heart. Your mind is at enmity with God. It is at war with God. It is at war with the things of God. And this is why Paul, after he was converted, after the Lord Jesus did to him what he did, this is why it's such an emphasis by the Spirit of God that Paul can now say, that thing that I thought people were crazy before, I now believe and I am preaching and I am indeed going to die for it. Think of that, brethren. That is a miraculous thing that only God can do to you and to me. The Bible says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For, listen, it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be so. It will not until the Spirit of God moves, until the Spirit of God regenerates that heart and that mind. Then one can hear, one can possibly see at times the Lord drawing somebody, you can preach the gospel to them, and they will what? They will receive it. Why? Because you're such a great orator, you're such a great preacher, you're so good at what you said, you said all the right things. No, because normally we don't say the right things. Normally we don't do the right thing. It's the Spirit of God who's working along ahead of you. And you simply, brethren, get to enjoy the fruit of what he's done. Amen? Last week, you guys, was such a joy for me. Such a joy for our family to see Selah and what the Lord has done. Think of that. Let me just say it again. Brother Dean even called me. He goes, I just, it's just so stunning to think that that little girl, thousands of, and, 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 and same with Levi too, right? He got baptized a couple years ago now. And Seth, I mean, it is a miracle no matter who it is. But you think about it. Thousands of miles away, not that her parents didn't love her. They could not care for her. Put her under a bridge. Think of this. And just so happens, right? Just so happens. Somebody stumbles along and finds that little girl under a bridge, takes her to, a, to, a, to an orphanage. Who could have thunk what God was going to do? He was working way upstream before Wendy and I ever got there. It's amazing, isn't it? This is what's happening here. God is always working way, if I can use that terminology, upstream. All we do is just go, wow, did you see what Almighty God did? You were just there 
probably in the way, <laughs> like I said. Although he uses us, amen? We're not totally irrelevant. He uses us for these things, to be faithful as Paul is faithful. I'm not crazy. I'm born again. That's why I can see those things that my mind used to be in enmity with. And this is what we see. Now look back there at verses 28 and 29. Acts 26, 28 and 29. Look at there what the Bible says. Let me get there. Look at verse 28 and 29. The Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these bonds, these chains. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul's preaching again elicits a response from another dead man walking who heard it. Both of those men and all those who were there heard it. And here, what the Spirit of God does again, he makes it personal. (laughs) Hey, Agrippa, you believe the Word of God, right? I mean, Paul didn't leave it out in the sea of nothingness, in the sea of soup. He just looked right at him and said, hey, King Agrippa, you believe the Scriptures, don't you? That's bringing it and making it very personal. That's pointing right at him, right at his heart, right where the Spirit of God needs to direct it, right at King Agrippa. It's an amazing thing. And mockingly, Agrippa says, almost persuades me to be a Christian. That's a mocking. Many people have preached this passage out of context. (laughs) Well, he was almost a Christian. No, he wasn't. He is mocking to death that which Paul just said. (laughs) What are you, I mean, Paul, you're mad, you're crazy. You think you're going to stand here and say all this crazy stuff and I'm going to become a Christian? This isn't the almost Christian, brethren. He's anything but close to being a Christian. You know why? Because he's a dead man walking. He's here listening to the gospel. In fact, the Bible says there that King Agrippa, well, as we can see, right, almost persuades me, again, very personal. It gets right down and close and personal. Agrippa was indeed dead in his sins. So it was impossible for him, brethren, listen. It was impossible for him to have a desire. Again, this is where we trust in the mighty works of God. Because this morning, brethren, before you were awakened from your deadness, you had no desire for the things of God, did you? No. Don't lie. You didn't have a desire for that. King Agrippa has no desire. You know why? Because he's a dead man walking, listening to the gospel. In fact, when you consider it, it was impossible for him to desire the spiritual graces given by God in verse 18 without the work of God. Again, this goes back to monergistic theology, monergistic theism, that we believe we're not just while we're sick. And that I'm laying in a bed and I'm not feeling well. My stomach is sick spiritually. But I've, but I've got it within me to get up off the bed if I just try hard enough. No, you are dead. You are laying in your bed, not breathing. <laughs> you can't even roll out of bed until the ambulance people come along and dump you out of there. Right, Keith? That's what happens. Keith shows up. I'm sure he has. Shows up at the scene. 
Have you ever seen a dead man, brother, get out of his bed and get on your little gurney, your little board? Not once. Sick men you have. Dead men you haven't. And this is what you see. There is a changing, listen, brethren, the miraculous work of God is a changing of your desires. That is part of what repentance brings to you. The gift of repentance brings a change in your desires. The things you hated, you now love. The things you loved, you're supposed to hate, although we all struggle with our sin, don't we, brethren? Praise God for the grace of God. But listen, brethren. Paul laid it out there in verse 18. Agrippa has no desire to turn from darkness to light. None. Just look at verse 18. Look at the things he laid out there. He had no desire to turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. He had no desire to receive the forgiveness of his sins. If he would have, he would have repented and came to Christ. He had no desire for a place among the people of God. If you look at verse 18, he uses the word heritage. There's a heritage of God found in those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is. There's an adoption, right, brother? And there's this thing that God gives to his people. There's a heritage there, he says. Agrippa had no desire for the heritage at all. He had no desire to become one who is sanctified. Listen by the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18 is loaded and chocked full of what the work of God and what he does in the lost sinner. He had no desire for any of it. He mocked. Now, <laughs> you know, we saw what God did in Paul's life. And again, this is what we in the Reformed faith get accused of. Well, we should only preach to the elect then. I am not one of those. You know why? Because I don't know who they are. And neither do you. No. <laughs> think, of, think of the man who's standing there preaching right now. Well, just a few years earlier, who would have thought that Paul was an elect of God when he was slicing off their heads and chasing them and putting them in prison? You don't know. Therefore, isn't it beautiful, brethren, now our hyper-Calvinist brethren, right? I mean, they say you got to look. I'm supposed to look at Bev. Howard, put your hand down there. It's right in Bev. I'm supposed to look at Bev and say, hmm, do I see any fruit there? No. You're not the fruit inspector. God is. You know what we're to do? We're to remain in all fidelity preaching what Paul preached. We're to preach the gospel. We are to say, listen, brethren, look how I was. I did this. Brother, I think Brother Keith and I, we were down at that concert, weren't we, a couple years ago. Was it Marilyn Manson? And what was the other person's name again? Uh, Marilyn Manson and somebody else. And literally, that's, and I'm not, bra I'm just saying, that's what the Lord gave me. I preached to that ready-made crowd that was 500 deep. They couldn't go anywhere because they were trying to get into Marilyn Manson. I stood on the curb. My brother Keith, we were just there preaching away. Keith, he, was, he looked like a windmill. He was handing out so many tracts. But you stood there and I preached and I said, I was just like you. I was. Probably worse than you. But look what God has done. Look what Christ did to me. Amen? That's a good testimony. 
That's a good thing. And this is what people should do. Amen. This is what Paul did. He spoke of his old life. And now let me just give you this. Don't be graphic. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, you know, I was over here at this house and I was over here at this doing this with all these people. Just say I was a wretch. The Lord saved me and changed me. That's how I was, the old man. Now look at me, the new man. And you know what? All the glory to who? To Christ. All of it. All of it. None of us can brag. None of us can say, look how good we are. Now, let's just finish our, our text here. Look there, if you would, at verse 30. Paul, again, is concerned about the loss. He always is. Hey, I wish he'd become like me, accept these bonds. But that is up to the Lord. Verse 30. And when he had thus spoke, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. <laughs> this is such an interesting response. Have you ever been sitting around just having a nice conversation? And then Christianity comes up. The gospel comes up. And that person you were having a nice, just calming conversation with suddenly needs to stop. This is what happens. It got very uncomfortable, very personal, very uncomfortable to these people as he was sitting there preaching. Listen to what it says. And we had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with him. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death and or bonds. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Well, again, brethren, it got very personal. Things got very, if you will, uh, uh, let's talk about something else. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Because it got right down into the heart of the matter. It wasn't Paul's mind. Can I say it again? It was King Agrippa's and Festus's spiritual deadness at stake. This is where this all headed. They thought they were inquiring of Paul, when in fact God was using, the Spirit of God was using Paul to inquire of them and extract from them to reveal their spiritual state. What an amazing, stunning thing that we certainly have. And then finally, they stood up and they... They quickly stood up and stopped the proceedings. And then our text closes, again, with the fulfillment, with, again, King Agrippa not understanding the providential hand of God, that no, see, because he did appeal to Caesar, he's standing right before you now. You just had the gospel preached to you by the hand of God himself. That's why he would have never again. He appealed because it was providential. He's right where God wants him to be. And as we, as we close out the book of Acts, what an exciting adventure. What an exciting thing that we're going to see. And then, Lord willing, we're going to go into 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. What a practical couple of books for the church. This is a narrative. It's, it's different to preach narratives than it is to preach how practical the Christian life is as Paul wrote these things. First and Second Thessalonians is going to be, Lord willing, a glorious place to see just how practical our walks with Christ really can be and should be. All right, well, let's pray together this evening, this morning. Father, we again thank you for your kindness to us.